I want to say a special welcome to those who are watching online. I recognize there's so many uh, reasons that you might be here. You might have come at the invitation of a friend. For some of you, uh, this might be, you might be new to church. You might not even really consider yourself a church person. You might not even really know what you think about Jesus and where you stand, yet you're here. And I just want to honor you and let you know I'm so grateful that you would be here today. I don't know what it is that brought you. You might have come to appease somebody. It might be the invitation of a friend. You might have seen something online. Somebody might have bribed you with an Easter ham. There's all sorts of reasons that you might be here, but the fact that you're here today, what I want to tell you, it's not random. It's not a whim. You might think it was just chance or happenstance, but God knew that you would be here today. And he has custom designed this message for you. He is going to speak to you exactly what you're going through, exactly what you're facing. And he not only knew that you would be here, but he knows you. And I want you to know, not only does he know you, but he loves you. And if you'll just open up your heart to him today, if you'll open up to the chance that God wants to speak to you, you are going to leave here different than the way you came in. Whatever's causing you to tune into this message, you're going to leave here changed. You're going to leave here with a new hope. You're going to leave here with a new purpose. You see, Easter isn't just a holiday to celebrate. Easter is something to experience. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is real. It is a historical event. But it's also a picture of what he wants to do in your life. And that's what I want to help you with today. I want to show you this today. And I'm going to read some scriptures, and then I'm going to explain them to you. I'm going to show you how they apply to you. And so what's amazing about the Bible is that whenever we open up our heart to it, if you'll just receive it, if you'll embrace it, if you'll begin to apply this to your life, the awesome thing about the Word of God is it changes us from the inside out. So I want to do that today, and the way I want to do it is by reading to you from a passage in Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is not your typical Easter text. Like, typically, when we think of Easter, what we think about is the women going to the tomb, showing up at the tomb, finding out that the tomb is empty, and then running to tell the disciples. But what I found is that a lot of us, we kind of know the Easter story but we don't understand always what that means to us. We're familiar with the details, but we don't understand the difference that it makes. And I want to help you understand what Easter really means to you. I want to help you understand why it matters, the difference that it makes. And Ephesians is a great way to do this because Ephesians, this book in the New Testament, it's all about explaining the importance of the Easter story. Now, I'll give you a little background on Ephesians if you're not familiar with it. Ephesians was written by this guy named Paul. And if you've been around church any amount of time at all, you, you might be familiar with Paul because Paul is kind of a big deal in the Bible. Uh, Paul is this guy, not one of the original disciples of Jesus, at least not in the way that we think of the disciples. You know, we think of like the 12 disciples. That wasn't Paul. Paul actually wasn't originally a follower of Christ. Paul's life was changed when he experienced the power of the resurrection in his own life. Uh, Paul, this guy, he actually, he used to hate Christians. His life's mission was to hunt them down. 
He, he thought that Christians were the source of all of his problems and everything wrong in the world. And so he made it his mission to hunt them down. He would try to get them to denounce Jesus as the risen Christ. He, he, and if they didn't, he would kill them. And it was one day while he was on mission, he was on the road to Damascus. He has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, you've been persecuting me, but I want you to start proclaiming me. I want you to preach this gospel. And it changed the trajectory of his life. So that's the guy who had this dramatic encounter. He experienced the power of the resurrection in his own life. This guy, he is the one who's writing a letter to the people of Ephesus to help them understand what the resurrection means to them. So I want to pick up in verse one of Ephesians chapter two. If you didn't bring uh, your Bibles with you, that's fine. We'll put the words on the screen so we can all follow along together. And this is what Paul said to them. He says, so, so where do you come into it all? Well, you were dead because of your offenses and sins. That was the road that you used to travel, keeping in step with this world's present age. Actually, that's how all of us used to behave, conditioned by physical desires. We used to do what our flesh and our minds were urging us to do. And what was the result of that? Well, we were subject to wrath in our natural state, just like everyone else. In other words, he's, he's describing a life without Christ. He's describing what life looks like when you don't know Jesus, when you don't understand the power of the resurrection, that you go through life doing what you want to do. You think you're free, but you're actually imprisoned. You're living according to the flesh, he says. Whatever physical urges you have, whatever your mind thinks you want to do, you do what feels good, but it leaves you with more pain. He says, we were under wrath because of this. The result of lashing out in anger only brought more anger. And because of this, it was like you're punished. It's like you're, you're under this heavy weight. He says in verse four, but when it comes to mercy, God is rich. He had such great love for us that he took us at the very point where we were dead through our offenses and made us alive together with the king. Yes, you are saved by sheer grace. In other words, you didn't earn it. It's not because you were so good. It's not because you deserved it. In fact, you couldn't if you tried. But because of the goodness of God, because of the grace of God, because of the richness of his mercy, you've been saved. And it says, and he raised us up with him, talking about Jesus and his resurrection. He raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places, in King Jesus. This was so that in the ages to come, he could show just how unbelievably rich his grace is, the kindness he has shown us in King Jesus. So I want to use this text today to talk about why Easter matters to you. And I want to do it around this subject of sit with me. Sit with me. Now, it's always my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. So I would just ask that you would bow your head, even wherever you're at at home. Just bow your head with me and, and let's prepare our hearts to receive from God today. God, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that every time we open up your word, you speak. And God, I ask that you would do it again today. 
speak to the hearts of your people. God, let us see things from your perspective. Speak to what we're going through. Speak to what we're facing. And give us the word, Lord, that we need to hear. God, I say we draw people to you today, and I thank you that you will because you always do whenever you're exalted. So be exalted in this place, God. Be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you have kids? Can I just see a show of hands? I want to know who I need to pray for today. <laughs> um, kids can be a great source of joy and also one of your greatest frustrations in life. Amen, parents. I am the co-founder of four children. And uh, I, I have, uh, if, if you don't know, I've got 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And uh, I, I love my kids. I, I love them because they give me the greatest sermon illustrations. I suppose I love them for other reasons too, but that is definitely in my top three of reasons that I love my children. And uh, I, t I told you the different ages, you know, and if you're a parent, you can relate to this because at different stages in your kid's life, like there, there's this sense where they have no sense of personal space. Like they just want to be close to you. They want to be on you. They want to be in your face, breathing on you, like sometimes all at the same time. And um, there's this point like as a parent where like you kind of like it, but you also kind of hate it. Because like you, you like it because you know this is just a stage and it's going to go away. And then there's like this also sense where like you just want your personal space and get away from me. And I'm not trying to say that there's been like any like silver lining of COVID. I'm not trying to make it good. But can we just be honest for a minute? Like this has been like a year-long vacation for some of you who are antisocial, right? Like the fact that we are here on Easter right now and there is a space between you and the other person. Like you are giving God glory on high right now. Is that, is that the truth? I just like, some of you, let's be honest, like some of you are going to ride this out till everybody's vaccinated and we are past mass and you will still be thinking, ah, uh, COVID, I don't know, just gotta, you know, just gotta, you can never be too sure. I get it. Jesus loves you, but there's a reason you're watching online. That's the, that's the truth. My wife has this shirt. She says, hey, when, when this is over, I'm still going to need you to stay away from me. And uh, it says Justin on it. And I'm like, that is just mean. But uh, it's, it's true, though, like, where was I going with this? I got off in space. There's, I need to look at my notes. Space. Um, how many of you are huggers? This has been hard for you. Huggers? Yeah. We just want to know who to avoid. Keep, keep your hands up. Um, no, there's space. Where, where am I going with this? The, the, the point I'm trying to make is my kids don't understand personal space. Sometimes they, they just want to be close. They want to be in my space. And what's funny is even if, you know, whatever COVID bubble, whatever, you like your space, I think all of us would admit that all of us would like to be close to Jesus. Like, like even if you don't consider yourself a church person, maybe not even a person of faith, you're not really sure where you land on, like you don't know, I don't know about church, I don't really know about like reading the Bible and prayer and all that, like, even if that's you, all of us would like the blessings that come from being tight with God. Like, if I'd just be close with him, like, like if I could get on his good side, like all of us, no matter where you're at, want to be close to Jesus. Well, why am I bringing that up? Because that's kind of the state of what's happening in Ephesus. See, Paul's writing to these people in Ephesus, these Christians, because some things had happened in their life that had caused them 
to grow distant. First thing is fear. There was a lot of negativity that was going on in the world. There, there was a lot of bad news, bad reports. Christians were dying, were being persecuted, hunted down. I mean, I told you about Paul. He was one of them, but he wasn't the only one. In fact, Paul, <laughs> this leader who's been so instrumental in their life, who planted these churches and told them about the good news of the gospel, when he's writing this letter to them, he's in prison. He's writing to them from prison. It's been all sorts of things that have happened, and they're wondering what could happen. What's next? It was fear. But it wasn't just a fear of what could happen. Fear was one thing. The other thing they were dealing with was discouragement. Discouragement over what had already happened. You see, following Jesus had not been easy. It was challenging. Even though we know that there's the blessings that come from following God, they had experienced a lot of hardship, a lot of pain, a lot of persecution. Life had not gone as planned. And, you know, anytime life doesn't go the way that you expect, you're met with an unmet expectation. It doesn't take too long before you get discouraged. So they were dealing with the fear of what might happen, discouragement of what had happened, and then the pressure of what was happening. It was not easy to follow Jesus. Culture was against them. There was pressure against them. There was political pressure. There was governmental pressure. There was religious pressure. There was social pressure. There were all these reasons not to follow Jesus. And so they're dealing with fear. They're dealing with discouragement. They're dealing with pressure. And Paul sees that this is going on. And the sum total of all these different difficulties is now they began to doubt. And the problem with doubt is that doubt will make you distant. Doubt will make you distant. Now, doubt's not a sin, but the effects of it keep you detached. The impact of it will keep you on the outskirts. It can cause you to miss what God is calling you into. See, when you're distant, you lose your motivation to keep moving forward. You lose your motivation to, to keep growing. When, when you're distant, you accept excuses for what is instead of pushing for what could be, instead of pushing for what's possible. When you're distant, things that used to be easy for you, things that used to come naturally, now they require more effort. Now they require more energy. When you're distant, you miss out on the best that God has for you, and you think that it's normal. You know, we're talking about the resurrection, <laughs> but doubt makes you distant. Think about the resurrection story. If you don't know, I'll give you a little uh, facts on what happened. Jesus, of course, he rose from the dead. He appeared first to the women. He said, hey, go tell my disciples I'm going to meet up with them. Later, he appears to two other disciples, followers of Jesus, on the road to Emmaus. You can read about it in Luke chapter 24. Then he appears to the disciples in the upper room, appears to them while they were locked away because of fear. Well, all of them except for one. One disciple, Thomas. What was his claim to fame? Doubting Thomas. 
That's how he's known in the Bible. Why? Because doubt keeps you distant. So Paul, he, he sees this happening in Ephesus. He sees them dealing with the fear, dealing with discouragement, dealing with pressure. He sees them growing distant. He sees them beginning to struggle. And he writes them to remind them of the reality of the cross. He, he points to the cross to give them a new perspective. And here's what he tells them, and, and this would be the first thing that I want you to know. If you're taking notes, or you just want to remember this message, the first thing you need to know is this. He points to the cross because the cross is a demonstration. That's why I wanted it on the platform here, because the cross is a demonstration. We're talking about the resurrection, but Paul wants them to know you can't really understand the resurrection if you don't first understand the crucifixion. You can't really understand the empty tomb if you don't first understand the cross, because the cross brings us close. You see, that's how Paul says it in, in verse 13, the same chapter we're looking at. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 16, he puts it this way. He says, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. On Friday, when they watched him die, they thought it was the end, but it was really just the beginning. And this is how Christ demonstrated his love for us. By dying on the cross, while we were still sinners, while we were still a long ways off, while we were still far from him, while we were still separated, while we were still sinful. On our own, we fall short of God's standard. On our own, we deserve death. On our own, the punishment should have been ours. Even our best efforts would fail. But God sent his son, Jesus. He lived a perfect sinless life. He came and he took our place. He took upon himself our sin. He took upon himself our shame. He took upon himself our punishment. And he went to the cross to demonstrate the Father's love for us. The question we have to ask ourselves is, have we accepted what he's done or are we staying distant? Do we accept what he did or are we staying stuck in what was? Because just like the cross is a demonstration, the resurrection is a reflection of what God wants to do in our lives. See, some of us are trapped in a grave that God has already given us grace over. Some of us are living in a tomb that we've been evicted from. Some of us are staying stuck in a mindset and a mentality simply because it's familiar. But if you really accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, it should cause you not to be distant, but to live different. It, it should cause you to have a change because the cross isn't just a demonstration. The cross it's also a transformation. That's the second thing I want to tell you. 
The, the cross is a transformation. The cross is this reminder that we've passed from death to life. Paul put it this way. He said, you who were once dead have now been made alive. You who were once afar off have now been brought close. You who were once at war with God have now been given peace. The cross is a transformation. Now you might say, Pastor, I'm not dead. Look, I'm, I'm alive or I wouldn't be here. But I'm not talking about being physically dead. I'm, I'm talking about there are other ways that you can be dead in life. You can be dead in areas and not even realize it. You can be dead emotionally where you don't feel anymore. You can be dead emotionally so that when tragedies happen, you don't feel it because your heart is hard. Where things that used to phase you, they, they don't phase you anymore. Where sometimes being dead is evidenced by the fact that you don't feel like you have the capacity to love. You don't feel like you have the capacity to give. You don't feel like you have the strength to care. Dead emotionally can show up in your relationships where you're dead relationally. Where, where you look for people to fill you up, but you end up always feeling empty on the inside. You could go from partner to partner, but never be satisfied because you're dead on the inside. It could be that the relationship you're in right now feels lifeless. And you think that it's because there's a problem with the other person, but they're trying to love a corpse dead on the inside. You might be dead spiritually, dead spiritually. Or you might even call yourself a Christian. But the truth is you're going through the motions. You don't have a prayer life. Like Paul said, your, your life is marked by doing whatever comes to your mind, whatever feels good, whatever you sense in the moment, not marked by a submission to his will. You're dead inside. I'm not talking about being dead physically. Paul is writing to remind the people of Ephesus that when you place your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, it marks a transformation. And just like Jesus got up from the grave, it's this reminder that the same thing can happen in your life. That your emotions can live again. That your relationships can live again. That you can be made spiritually alive. Because you see, the real purpose of the cross isn't just about a demonstration. It's not just about a transformation. It's about an invitation. It's about an invitation. The cross is an invitation. And this is what Easter means for you today. Let me read to you what Paul wrote. He says, he raised us up, talking about the resurrection, talking about Jesus. He raised us up with him and made us sit with him. You see, the reality of Easter is that it's an invitation to sit with Jesus. You think about Jesus, his ministry. He was, he was always extending an invitation to people. 
He invited the disciples. He said, come, follow me. He invited the crowds to listen. Let me teach you about the kingdom of God. Let me teach you about the truth of the heavenly father. He invited those who were sick to come and be healed, to come and be whole, to come and be made well. He invited those who were oppressed to be made free. Jesus had a posture of invitation from Zacchaeus to Nicodemus to Bartimaeus. I recognize you might not know those names, but he was always inviting people to come close, to have a relationship with him. And that same invitation extends to you today. It says he raised us up with him and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places. And too many of us, we're not taking a seat at the table. Instead of pulling up a seat, we're, we're living like someone who's fighting for a seat. Fighting for a seat. Could be in a room full of people like this. Still feel lonely. Have all the followers on Instagram and still feel insignificant. Achieve all the goals, receive all the accolades, still feel empty on the inside. You can even be in church and not realize this truth. Because coming to church doesn't ensure that you have a seat. And what I'm trying to illustrate for you today is I think we've got a lot of people who are saved, but not seated. We know Jesus, but we're not close. We, we know the details of Easter, but we don't understand the difference that it makes. In the room, but not at the table. I think there's lots of things that keep us from being seated. Sometimes the things that keep us from being seated is we feel unworthy. I don't know, after all the stuff that I've done, all the things I know my past, I know my mistakes, keeps us from taking a seat. Sometimes the reason we don't take a seat is because we're comfortable where we are. It's like a defense mechanism against intimacy. I don't want to get too close because I don't want anybody to know the real me. I don't want anybody to see the stuff that I want to keep hidden. Sometimes the reason we don't take a seat is because we live in this state of comparison and competition. I know I'm not as close as I should be, but I'm not as far away as some people. I mean, maybe 10 is close, but, you know, I'm not a one. You know, it's not like I'm Hitler. It's not like I own six cats or something like that. Like, I'm not one of those people. These things that keep us from a distance, comparison. Here's what I want to challenge you with today. Whatever is keeping you from taking a seat, I want to challenge you to put down your excuses. Put down your defenses. Put down your shame and pull up a seat. Pull up a seat. There's more for you at the table. The cross, it's not just a demonstration. It's not just a transformation. The cross is an invitation. And when you're seated with him, 
It's different. Well, when you're seated with him, there's no comparing. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what somebody else has done. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what you've been through. The only thing that matters is him. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Levels all the playing field. Even the good stuff you've done doesn't matter. There's no competition. You know why? Because all of us are at second place. He's first. When you're seated. When you're seated with him, there's, there's not haves and have nots. Doesn't matter if you're broken. In fact, if you're broken, that's your invitation. If you need a savior, there's no shame in that. That's your invitation. You don't get this seat because you're perfect. You don't get this seat because you're good. You get this seat because you need a savior. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've been living with this thing for years. It doesn't matter if it happened six months ago or five minutes ago. It doesn't matter if it happened right before you walked in the door. There's no shame here. And I just had such a burden to talk to you because I feel like I get what Paul was, what Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. It's not that you don't know Christ, but maybe, maybe you've grown distant. It's not that you're not in the room, it's that you're not close. Maybe you're close, but you're just not close enough. It's possible you could be seated, but not seated with him. Go to church, no scriptures, but God wants you close. He wants you to sit with him. You know, in culture, the goal is to be the last one standing. But Jesus got up so that you could sit down. He got up from the grave so that you could take a seat. What's interesting about this invitation is that Jesus has extended the invitation to you, but the truth is you still have to invite him. Jesus said later in Revelation 3.20, this is what he said, the message translation. He says, look at me. I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear me call and you open the door, I'll come right in and I'll sit down at the table with you. This is the message of Easter. God is giving you an invitation today, but you have to invite him in. It's an invitation to be close, not just to be saved, but to be with him. Jesus says, sit with me. And I'd like to give you that opportunity before we close today. 